Arter. He's bigger. It's bigger than yours, but you like that. Okay. The stuffing will go good with <laughs> these from scratch mashed potatoes. <laughs> oh no, I dropped the yams. I dropped them all. That's Joyce in the corner. That's Uncle Steve there in our Zoom Thanksgiving. don't know if I can do it. Grandma's talking about Trump. She said, Kofefe. <laughs> I thought that I heard you choking. I thought that I saw you holiday theme and that's right this is a parody mix here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well it is our we're recording this a little bit in advance just because of how the the chips fell but this is our thanksgiving episode mason yeah we're recording this on september 11th but it's gonna be (laughs) um, the tuesday before thanksgiving uh we really had to get in front of this one (laughs) yeah we really wanted to make sure that we talked about the second hardest day of the year, things or nine uh, eleven. Before we talked about the first hardest day of the year, which is Thanksgiving. That right. was, of course, if you're not familiar, that was losing my religion by mm-hmm. REM. Yeah, Every, any mm-hmm. REM fans out there who might be listening to this, so love that song. Uh, you're, I, I bet you're a big REM guy, Mason. We never talked about it before. I, but I am. Bet you are. Uh, I am. I was a big fan of the hits, and then I gotta say that uh, my affinity for them was rekindled with the "Are You Talking REM Re Me" podcast, sure. the Scott Ackerman, because I was a big fan of "You Talking You Too" to me, and I know they have a "Talking Heads" one, which is really like, don't they? That's have a your shit. One? Yeah, they do. I think it's. Are you talking heads to, you two to, to me or something like that? My talking head or something like that. Yeah. I again, uh, I I don't allow myself things that I like. Would <laughs> no, I would Dude. like. <laughs> fucked up. Like, let me just You're try. Let up, me guy. just try a couple things instead of sitting down and giving my attention to something that I know I would enjoy. Um, yeah. Let me do all these other things that I kind of like or hate, and I don't give myself any fucking time to actually do the things I like. Yes. So like, that's a like, smart, that's smart. Like work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Guest, work. Fuck work. Fuck we work. hate work. We hate work. Guest. How did you, so, uh, guest before I introduce you, what was it like? Cause you are a fan of the show being, uh, in on the chat to Noah's silent parody song. What was that experience like for you? It's kind of, it's pretty, gee, it's pretty, it's a weird experience, but, <laughs> Especially without the accompanying music that usually, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it well, takes a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My favorite part of that, uh, the sort of uh, 
when we were starting the recording is not the, the surprise of Noah uh, doing the parody song. And it usually doesn't happen uh, right away. And there's a lot of, especially now, a lot of kind of preamble to the actual song before we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's always a, it's always a treat. Uh, but folks, that's right. We have a guest this week. Our first guest back in season three. Uh, finally, finally, finally enough of you've had three episodes in a row of us too. And now it's time to get somebody else in the fucking show. Uh, I asked the guest earlier how he would like to be introduced on the podcast. And this is what he said. And I'm going to keep it here. Uh, our pa- our guest today is a friend and regular listener of it's on the list podcast. And I, I he, he's telling the truth there because after a lot of episodes, he, uh, sends me a direct message on Facebook with some uh, a lot of necessary context that neither Noah or, or I covered. So, smart fella, uh, know him from Facebook, know him from uh, met him on uh, my very last day in Los Angeles, actually. <laughs> uh, wow! But he's a uh, longtime internet friend, a uh, good guy, all around smart person, and it seemed very appropriate to have him on the show. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, non-binary folks, anyone listening to this, let's give it up for Patrick Laguno. Did I say that right? Yeah, Laguno, yeah. You got it, you got it right. Laguno, yeah. yeah. Woo. Yay! Woo! <laughs> Thanks for coming yeah, on the show, Patrick. It. I'm pretty nervous and excited because this is like my first appearance in the podcast overall, so hopefully I stick the landing. Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's making yeah. his podcast debut on yeah. "It's on the List," baby. We, you know, uh, can you ask for anything sweeter <laughs> on this Thanksgiving episode this than is, to uh, be making your yeah. podcast debut? This is like when you. This is gonna be like when you see uh, Tina Fey in like an old camera commercial, or like Gary Sinise selling soap. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of just like classic like. Has Gary Sinise actually sold soap? Was that a thing that he did? I don't know. I think it was getting him mixed up with uh, Tom Hanks was in a deodorant commercial or something. And we're going to be talking oh, about Steve Tom Carell. Hanks. Didn't like he do that. like a, what, a chicken restaurant commercial before? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm oh, very familiar really? with the chicken restaurant with Steve. And then, you know, when you're like a, when like you know, those kid actors or whatever, they're like in like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Or if Justin Timberlake was in like mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and stuff like that mm. when he was like a kid and stuff. So... This is your Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, then, Patrick, yeah. so to speak. So, thanks for thanks for joining yeah. us. Uh, you know, for that, that's very nice. We we we're, we love to <laughs> debut shit uh, on this podcast, including bits that Mason or may or may not know that I have <laughs> planned. Right in the not chamber. saying there will be, not saying there will be one of those today. Not saying there won't be one of those today. You know, Great. like to keep so, an air of mystery. You know, Patrick's excited. I'm gonna be on edge, just waiting for a fucking bullet to come down the chamber of this podcast which is a new accursed <laughs> bit whatever that's gonna be yeah i'm actually scared to be honest with you because i don't even know if i know what the bit's gonna be and that's kind of the beauty uh of this podcast is i can say something that's fucked and that is sucks and then mason yeah. has to go he has to go along with it he yeah. has i i hold him have him hostage in that hmm. sense uh patrick this is thanksgiving coming up you got any thanksgiving plans or if you don't have any this year, what's your like general Thanksgiving tradition? If there well, is? it depends because um, uh, you know usually because um, my my parents they work as caregivers, so so they they don't usually have time mm. to celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, usually, some other times I I, um, I might probably uh, I might probably join uh, another relative's Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, but sure. But um, for this year, uh, you know, I probably I we probably just work and then we'll just you know for for Thanksgiving because you know since especially with the current pandemic right now and you know wait, there's a pandemic. Mason, wait, hold on. Do you not know about the pandemic? This is. Listen, I know it takes a long time because I'm not on Twitter or anything. It takes a long time for information to trickle its way down to me. But we are in a pandemic. Mason, who do you think is president right now? Oh, man. Uh, Well, I got bonked on the head by a big old coconut. And when I fell asleep, (laughs) the president was Donald Trump. Well, Mason, I have some news for you, Mason, that you might not know. Uh You got to wake up. You got to wake up, Mason, because the president starting January 20th, 2021, Mason, is going to be Joseph Robinette Biden, Mason. Hold on a second. I remember that guy from the last president. He's going to be our next president. Well, buckle the fuck up, Mason, because instead of being vice president, he's going to be president of the United States. We finally have a white guy, the president, in the Oval Office, Mason. Oh, man. A white guy with uh, – I'm very happy that we have – just this is we've had an incredible string of president's teeth. I feel uh, Donald Trump has an all-time pair of just weird chompers. Joe Biden sure. also has. Uh, it's definitely dentures. I shouldn't be too mean to the guy, but it does look very weird in his mouth. There, <laughs> I feel honestly, I've not noticed that. Patrick, do you have any opinions on the on the <laughs> incoming president's teeth? I never even <laughs> same thing. I never really no absurd. You know, I never really. Took- <laughs> Have that in mind. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, but folks, welcome back to the show. This is it's on the list with Noah and Mason. I'm yes, sure did it already. I don't know. I don't uh, think we did. I think I that you think... were right. I think in, to do it, do the show intro. This is it's on the list with Noah and Mason. I am Mason, the funny talking dog, joined as always by Noah March of the funny talking baby. This week, our special guest is Patrick Laguno. And as always, we have a special guest choice, a special special chef's choice. Patrick brought on both the album and the movie. Uh, and when I mentioned him about uh, potentially being on the show a couple weeks, maybe a couple months ago, he mentioned this movie. And uh, then he settled on this album. And I gotta say, this is quite the little. This is quite the little. Uh, the little. The little course you served up here, Chef Patrick. This is quite the little. This is quite a fun. Uh, <laughs> this is quite a fun little, a little diptych here. So, I feel as is customary on the show, we do the album first, mm-hmm. and then we'll go into the movies. So, Patrick, as is your privilege as guest here, why don't you um, uh, intro the album you brought on this week? So, for my my pick for the album for this episode, um, I um, I I, cho- I decided to go with uh, Fiona Apple's Extraordinary Machine which was her third album that was released in 2005. But, um, it, well, it, yes, and um, it's also known for, um, it, it also has a pretty interesting history behind the scenes because um, um, actu- um, she actually um, originally recorded this album with uh, her previous collaborator, John Bryan. Bryan, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
and the, what happened was the those sessions ended up leaking online and like uh, and then so she had to delay the release of the album and then she had to re-record and the tracks to for which ended up in the the album that we have now also uh for record i i, I haven't I, 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 it was only until recently that i got around to uh listening to the original demo tracks and um i, I think they're they're just as great as the 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 ones on the cur- current album though i can understand why she decided to to go with a different direction when she was re-recording do you, it. Uh, outside of this album, do you have like a affinity for Fiona Apple as a whole? Like, do you have like a long-standing relationship with her as an artist, or is it really just this album yeah, that just, stands out to, to you? To be honest, um, I've only um, this is like the only album that I've listened of hers in full. Like, I've 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 listened to Criminal and her cover of Across the Universe, but yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, you know, like it, it was only and then. And I haven't even re- listened to her new album that just came out this year, and I've heard lots of great things about it. And that album hmm. fucking yeah. rocks. Yeah, that, that album rocks. is fucking yeah. incredible. Mason, That's- what's your relationship to Fiona Apple? Oh man, uh, I'll just start chronologically going backwards. So, Extraordinary Machine, never heard it before, um, and uh, it was kind of. This is what I. This is a thing that I love uh, on the show, which is just like kind of trying to find like the middle stuff that's been kind of like that i uh wouldn't have gotten around to listening to uh really loved uh fetch the bull cutters uh probably for all intents and purposes the album of 2020 uh would strongly recommend folks listen to that if they haven't already uh and i had some familiarity with the idler wheel um especially the song um hot knife and that accompanying music video was really big for me in college in like 2015 um, I had a lot of friends uh, who were really into her, really into Fiona Apple. Um, but it wasn't until this year, 2020, when I feel like I sat down and listened to an album of hers front to back. Um, but I always had an appreciation for her and I always liked her just, uh, her, I guess we'll just say weirdness. And I really liked that her, uh, and I think that, so the earliest thing that I can remember, uh, Fiona Apple, uh, just sort of Fiona Apple related, is she at one point, I think, had the t- the longest album title mm-hmm. for her 1999 album, When the Pawn. Mm-hmm. So I have the full title me. here. Please, please, because it was in a Guinness Book of World Records, and I remember reading that on the toilet and being like, okay, <laughs> cool. I don't know if I ever need to listen to this music, but uh, now Dude. I want to. doesn't matter. Noah, read <laughs> what's the full album Dropping title. a fucking deuce. You, had, you were sitting there with the Guinness Book of World Records, which for all intents and purposes is probably as big as you are, sitting yeah. there looking at a passage <laughs> that just says, Fiona Apple has the longest thing and you went I'll just never listen to that album that was the that was the fucking thought process I don't know I was like 10 I didn't know what good music was at that point I think I was listening to like the Beatles a lot or something Ah yes terrible Ooh. music aka <laughs> the Beatles I didn't Damn, say that they were bro. bad it's just you 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 go in and out of phases is all I'm trying to say but what's the full title here when the it's when the pawn okay. hits the So song. yeah okay. it's colloquially known as when the pawn and then an ellipses but so I, these were actually going to be part of my fast facts section for this album, but I'll just give them to you now since we're talking about it. I, I, it's, a, it's a little bit of a tandem here. So hold on to your fucking hats because I'm about to talk a lot without 
any interruption because there's a lot of words here. Okay, sounds cool. Fiona Apple's album from 1999 is colloquially known as When the Pawn Drops, but that's not the full title of the album. The full title of the album is When the Pawn Hits the Conflicts, He Thinks Like a King, What He Knows Throws the Blows, When He Goes to the Fight and He'll Win the Whole Thing, For He Enters the Ring, There's Nobody to Batter, When Your Mind Is, Your Might So, When You Go Solo, You Hold Your Own Hand and Remember That Depth is the Greatest of Heights, and If You Know Where You Stand, Then You Know Where to Land, and If You Fall It Won't Matter, Cause You'll Know that you're right. That is the full title of the album. Insane. <laughs> the, arist- the aristocrats. Uh- the aristocrats. She's reading, and then the son is reading the whole the album other- name of Fiona albums. Here's, of Fiona man, here's the album. other thing. Like that album came out when she was probably what, like 22, 24 or something. Like she started fairly young. I feel like Criminal and that first album came out when she was late teens early 20s i think she was very young so that album in 1989 probably yeah she's probably in her like early maybe mid 20s at the oldest she's super super young when that album's coming out but i actually have the album that broke that record in front of me as well the full title of the album that broke the record <laughs> okay in 2008 okay. and it's by a fucked up band um you guys familiar with chumbawamba yeah. 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 So Chumbawamba, if you're not familiar, why would you be? <laughs> is the band that sang the song Tub Thumping, which is the I get knocked down, but I get up again song. Uh, they released an album in 2008, colloquially known as The Boy Bands Have Won. But that is not the full title of the album, gentlemen. The full title of the album is the boy bands have won, and all the copyists and the tribute bands and the TV talent show producers have won. If we allow our culture to be shaped by mimicry, whether from lack of ideas or from exaggerated respect, you should never try to freeze culture. What you can do is recycle that culture. Take your older brother's hand-me-down jacket and restyle it, refashion it to the... This is not a fucking joke. The point where it becomes your own. But don't just regurgitate creative history or hold art and music and literature as fixed untouchable and kept under glass the people who try to guard any particular form of music are like the copyists and manufactured bands doing it the worst disservice because the only thing that you can do to music that will damage it is to not change it not make it your own because then it dies then it's over then it's done and the boy bands have won Cutler that Jason sucks <laughs> yeah i listen Wamba apparently has like like uh, uh, like good political bona fides, bona fides, and a, like a long career, um, sort of before and after tub thumping, which is their you know biggest hit in America at least, and you know probably around the world. Um, but that's a little bit too much. I'm gonna say that that's a little <laughs> bit too much. Uh, that gets a do not recommend for me. That title, <laughs> just that album title. Yeah, I I it, it's fun that they like. Uh, it, it feels like they really took the baton from Fiona Apple and just went to the finish line and there's nobody that's going to ever, sh- nobody should ever attempt to out album title ch- uh, Chumbawamba on that one. But let's get back to the topic at hand here. Fiona <laughs> Apple, Extraordinary Machine. Uh, so Patrick, did you hear this album um, back, or actually <laughs> I didn't ask Noah what his, yeah. uh, what his uh, 
relationship with with Miss Apple is here. So I think maybe like a lot of people, uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters was my first full album experience of Fiona Apple. It hit at a time where most people were inside, you know, because of the pandemic, things were getting locked down. Uh, and so people had a lot of time on their hands and this album got a perfect 10, not this album they're talking about, but fetch the bolt cutters got a perfect 10 yes. from pitchfork, which doesn't really happen. That happens once in a blue moon, very rare thing. And yet they gave it to this album right off the rip because they sometimes will give like retrospective albums, you know, full tens or whatever, like after a certain amount of time, this one brand new release, they just gave it a perfect 10 shocked everybody so of course i'm like oh fuck well i gotta listen to that you know if pitchfork's giving it a perfect 10 right off the rip i gotta listen to it and while i don't think it's a perfect 10 of an album it's a great album it's fucking awesome you know like it just Mm -hmm. rocks in every way shape and form uh you know i've listened to it many many times since it came out in march or april or whatever it was so that was my first like real real experience with fiona apple like on an album sense but she's been in my mind because i when i was a kid i used to love those shows on like VH1 or MTV that were like top 100 Mm. songs of the eighties or top 100 songs of the nineties. And the song that popped up somewhere in the middle of that countdown Mm -hmm. was criminal by Fiona Apple. And she's super young, you know, like when that song is coming out, it's a little bit controversial. You know, what is she thinking about? You know, it's, you know, causing some, uh, disturbance, I guess, among some more conservative listeners. Like, holy shit, are we allowed to be listening to this or watching this music video? So I knew it from that. And then I guess, you know, for better or for worse, I knew her as PTA's girlfriend and, right. like, partner for a very small amount of time. I think they dated for, like, three or four years. I looked it up because I didn't know exactly how long it was. And, acor- and according to what I was researching – PTA and Maya Rudolph have been dating since like 2001. So much longer than him and Fiona Apple ever were like officially together. But I knew her as the guy or that I knew her as PTA's girlfriend, basically more so than I did as like anything other than that. But fetch the bolt cutters comes out and I'm like, Holy shit. This woman is incredible. How have I not listened to this music before? So that's my like relationship, I guess with Fiona Apple. And at the end of Magnolia, I went and got, saw it before lockdown happened at the Egyptian Theater in L.A. There is a credit at the very, very end of Magnolia, if you're watching it all the way to the very, very end. And it says, says special thanks to E.A. and F.A. And that's mm. all it says. Do you guys know mm. F.A. is Fiona Apple? Right. you guys know who E.A. is? Any guesses on who E.A. It's, is? Uh, I'm going to guess. It's, it's, it's P.T.'s father, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Patrick. It is PTA's father. Ernie Anderson had passed away like several years, I think, prior uh, to Magnolia coming out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, wanted to pay tribute. That whole sequence mm-hmm. with Earl Partridge is basically, you know, PTA, you know, having mm-hmm. a little moment with his dad who had died previously. So I had never seen that before. I had never heard anybody talk about that before. But like EA and FA, just putting that at the end of your movie, pretty sweet. So that's my Fiona Apple history that's my that's me taking y'all to school on fiona apple thank you um let's let's fucking talk about this album though as a whole because this was my only other real full experience with the album this album is fucking (laughs) awesome (laughs) just like straight up like yeah it's awesome 
It rocks. Uh, Patrick, have you... So, did you... When did this this particular album come into your life? Was it back in 2005, or was it a, a more recent somewhere in between? Or what's your history with this particular yeah, it album? Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, it was way, way back in 2005. Like, um... Because, you know, when you, you... Back then, when, you know, you used to... You know how Windows Media Player, they usually have these, like, uh... Like, they would usually, like, release this, like, um... Full CD listening... I think it was AOL, I think, or or Windows. But I know they they do these like CD listening parties. Like they they stream the entire CD before they release it. And this was one of the ones that uh, okay. caught my interest. When I you know, and it, it just you know, that's a little before my time. But I really do like that. Uh, I like that honestly. I like the the um, the Windows Media or the sponsored listening party. That sounds really cool. So like. So you were just like, was this like, was that like a regular thing that you were doing, or was it just like just for this album? It was just because, uh, um, because let's see, I'm trying to remember. It, yeah, it just caught my, it just simply caught my interest because um, I was because because I'm like uh, like to put it in context, like it's been like a like 2005. That's like it's uh it's been a year since I've been here in the U.S. as a green card holder, so um. Because gotcha. I'm still, you know, I'm still, you know, adjusting to, to, to the, you know, to having faster internet. <laughs> and, you sure, know, I, sure, you know okay. I'm just, you know, just surfing and, you know, and then, because, because, you know, I, I thought, you know, I might probably broaden my music tastes a bit because, you know, because I'm, I'm usually, I, I'm just used to like, you know, just the, you know, just classic rock that I, I've learned from my, you know, I, from my right you know listening back home so and then you know this this uh caught my fancy extraordinary machine and then i, I just listened and it was yeah patrick where were where was home for you before you came to the I united was in states the philippines i was born oh, in the there philippines in, gotcha. yep mm-hmm. was yep does fiona apple have a presence in the philippines or was this a brand new name to you like and, and that why it caught your attention like i mentioned before um i, I, was, I was already familiar with her for through the song criminal and also she this cover version she did of right. uh, across the universe for pleasantville right that was like my yeah and yeah, yeah and mm-hmm. i forgot that was for pleasantville in my mind that she did that cover for the across the universe movie but no yeah. it was for pleasantville wow pleasantville is a good movie I've, Pleasantville I've, is a good movie. I, I watched in that in ninth grade English class. Actually, we were learning about Plato's allegory of the cave. And so mm. uh, my teacher just threw on Pleasantville and was like, yeah, you guys are going to really like this. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I actually did really like it. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> there were a lot of Plato's allegory films released in that same period. When you think about it. Totally. Matrix yeah. came out, I think, like the next Dark year. City. Yeah, Dark oh, City. Dark City. Truman Rocks. Show. Yeah. Ed Truman TV. Show is a Plato's Cave. Ed TV. Yes, everyone's <laughs> favorite Plato's Cave movie. Ed fucking TV. Yeah. Mm. Very. What was going on during that time? Were people I just think, like, I don't know, man. Fuck consumerism, which is really <laughs> capitalism at the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. That, it's kind of funny that in 1999, you know, history was over by that point. We had, you know, the, the communist right. scourge had been defeated, and now we are all full full in on co- uh, capitalism. But 
boy, howdy, it just sucks to buy things, doesn't it? Like, that's my favorite theme of 90s movies is, boy, howdy, doesn't it suck to buy things? <laughs> that's like a fucking Jerry Seinfeld bit came to life. Like, why do I always got to buy new things? Why the fuck? He wouldn't say fuck. He'd be like, why the hell do I got to go to the store to buy this new thing when I got this old thing? It doesn't make any sense. Fucking stupid, George. I do love Office Space, though. I love Office Space, Office Space continues to get more yeah. relevant. But anyways, um, I just I, I had a thought at, when Patrick was uh, describing getting used to faster Internet where you were like literally like you were literally a guy in like a in like an AOL online advertisement. It was like in front of like just a just a, a computer with a huge back and you're just going like whoa like actually surfing the net for the first time quite literally fucking riding the wave yeah what was the experience like patrick of having faster internet like what did it feel like to be able to go around so much faster than you were used to well for starters you know i don't have to worry about the you know the dial-up connection suddenly disconnecting totally yeah and um plus also you know you get to of course you get to load load images and videos faster you know like yeah it's yeah it's an interest it was an interesting time back then like trying you know sure with so many yeah did it feel like you had like new like possibilities though like like worlds had like opened up or like things that you couldn't do before because you didn't want to wait around for like a connection like was it exciting in that way in a sense yeah i mean from my my memory of that time when surfing, I was mostly just frequenting uh, IMDb message boards and sure <laughs> nice. before before things got you know before it became like a troll, you know I just you know before it became before it became nuclear waste basically yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> before Letterbox took over any sort of like rational <laughs> yeah. conversation you could have about a movie which you know it's crazy to think that Letterbox is the most rational place to have that discussion now so there are some whack ass takes on Letterboxd it really too. is uh, Patrick were you like looking at your computer or whatever that time and being like boy this sure is an extraordinary machine <laughs> <laughs> Get trying to segue King us back yeah. to the- <laughs> Patrick, what are your standout tracks from Extraordinary Machine? Like, when you're just going to throw this on, what are your favorite tracks? What do you go to first? I mean, I mean the op- the the title track alone kind of hooked me from the the title. You know, kind of hooked me up throughout the entire. Album. And there's also um. And all and what else? And there's also the uh, I'm trying to remember the let me because I'm trying to remember the titles of the song. There was also um oh the parting gift. Parting gift is parting gift rules. Yeah, that that's the only that's the that was the only new song made for this album. That it wasn't part of it was one of the songs that got leaked. It was like made especially for this version of the album it was so, like part of the re-record and, uh, was was this uh was uh it was parting it was interesting interesting yeah that was the only one that was the only new one that wasn't the one of the songs that got leaked and there was also um get him back it's another it's a great one get yes. him back yes and uh oh better version of me i really like better and version also of the me. oh and the last track also yeah oh yeah. Better version of me and Waltz are fucking awesome. Yeah, Extraordinary Machine and Waltz, those were like the only two tracks from the original demos that made it to the to the final album. The ones that that 
that were credited to Brian as the producer. And it's yeah. interesting that those are the two that made it at, into the re-record from the original version because those are my those are my two favorite tracks hmm. of the Extraordinary Machine current album that we know as. Although there are some songs off the re-release uh, or not the re-release, but the original version done by Brian that I really like. The two songs from the current version done by John Bryan that made it are my favorite albums on the re-release. It's just very, it was very interesting to know that those two, because I listened to the the version that everyone would know first. And then I went back and listened to the Brian leaks. And it's just so interesting that those ones went over and yet those are my faves. Mason, what are your faves from extraordinary machine? Uh, I gave the heart to uh, five tracks here on Spotify. I ended up hearting the whole album because I, I love mm-hmm. this whole album. Uh, I think I am. A, I, you can put me down as a, a Fiona Apple fan here because uh, I've liked more than I have uh, disliked here. Uh, oh, Sailor, better version of yep. me. Uh, oh, well, I think is my ultimate from this. I really like Oh, well, uh, really like not a, not about love and red, 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 but. If I had to annoy just one track here, it would probably be Oh Well. Um, I like how uh, just sad and funny that song is. That gets me like right in the right in the good spot. She's really good at mixing like anger and like clear emotional distress with humor. Like there is yes. a very like clear, at least in my mind, intention to do that. You know, to infuse mm-hmm. humor with pain and to infuse humor with emotional strife and based on when this album came out versus when her last album came out she's also not released a a lot of albums her as far as like her release history is concerned her first album comes out in 1996 then win the pawn uh, as it's colloquially known as uh comes out in 1999 then she doesn't release Extraordinary Machine until 2005. And when we get into Fast Facts, we'll talk a little bit more about why that one took a while. But then from Extraordinary Machine to The Idler Wheel, she didn't release an album for what? Eight years? Yeah. yeah. It's cr- or seven years, excuse me, from in 2012 from 2005. And then Fetch the Bolt Cutters comes out eight years after that. So she only has five studio albums under her belt, even though her first album came out in... 1996 she doesn't put out a lot of music and when she does it's kind of an event you know in a way that like not all artists are people release a lot of shit it's like fiona apple dropping an album is is an an event it's kind of it's you it's kind of like how uh what it used to feel like getting a mission impossible movie where it's like we're gonna get Mm. a lot of breaks in between a couple mission impossible movies now they're Mm. they're pumping them out at a little bit of a clip but it, it does feel like an event uh, yeah, I think that, like, that makes sense because she started in the industry so young, too, and was sure. such mm-hmm. a, um, kind of had, uh, uh, was treated so poorly and, uh, by the, uh, sort of the press and the sort of culture at large at that point that I don't begrudge her for taking time between, between projects and wanting to do something else. And I like that there's, um, in contrast to Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which has been defined and was heralded, for a sort of like, um, you know, we'll say DIY, I guess, kind of, because it was mo- a lot of home recordings. It was mixed and put together on GarageBand. Um, and in contrast to the rest of her work, which is very orchestral and very like kind of studio, especially this album, um, I love the orchestration 
in the production mm -hmm. and uh, the sort of the arranging of the um, uh, of just everything that's not mm -hmm. her lyrics here. Uh, it's it does from the beginning from extraordinary machine and then at the very very end while it's better than fine those two extraordinary machine itself mm -hmm. definitely feels like John Bryan's fingerprints are on that like it feels mm -hmm. like a seat like it feels like a bit of score from a Paul Thomas Anderson movie around this time absolutely with a little bit uh, or a uh, a Charlie Co or a Spike Jones movie or anyone that he was working with with some Fiona li Apple lyrics on top of it so uh. I'd say that if you're like a John Bryan fan and you haven't heard this, his contribution to at least Extraordinary Machine, then it's like, definitely check this out. But also, like, this is just a good album aside from that context um, and aside from that sort of like that, that production history there. I, it's it's really was a tremendous treat to listen to this. Um, listen to this right it now. Really was. It really mm -hmm. was. It was. Yeah. It was one of those. It was one of those albums where I didn't really know where I was going to stand on it. Like when we started because I only had a limited viewpoint of what Fiona Apple really was, at least for me, you know? And then listening to this, I was like, damn, I just kind of want to hear, you know, the three other albums that I haven't heard. Like it really just made me want to go yeah. full in uh, on Fiona Apple. And it's interesting that both the first track, Extraordinary Machine, and the last track, Waltz, uh, are Brian, and sort of everything else in between that wasn't a John Brian recording originally, it has this sort of like, I thought like cabaret like small jazz club feel to it like yeah. you enter the yeah. album like you're entering a small club mm -hmm. and you're going to see her sit at the piano with like a you know an upright bass player or in a, in a drummer and just fucking do this entire thing live yeah. for an intimate little audience it, I, I, that's the production that yeah. i like felt from this whereas fetch the bolt cutters mm -hmm. is all over the place it's Got wild instrumentation, wild arrangements, what like just complete feels completely wild, which is fair. The fucking name of the album is Fetch the Bolt Cutters, you know, like straight up, yeah. she's literally off the leash. With this one, it feels contained, but it still feels like playful and fun within its contained, you know, production, I guess. Patrick, what do you think about like the production on this album? Yeah, like, um, you mentioned for like the. I, I love the jaunting is like the mixture of the moods and the styles in in each song. It's very evocative of like Harry Nilsson or or Jock Brel at their prime. Mm, uh, I like yeah, that Jock yeah. Brel comparison. Mm -hmm. Who is Jock Brel? I don't know that name. He's a Belgian singer, and I ooh maybe Jock Brel is somebody that should bring on the show. But I fell into a little Jock Brel phase like right after college when I was fresh in LA for whatever reason. He has this incredibly um theatrical uh sort of um uh manner of singing uh and even though he sings in a language that i am not fluent in and don't know a lot of words he it's i'm enraptured whenever he sings his like kind of little like torch songs or um the song amsterdam uh he's one of those yeah he's one of those guys that like um, Bowie was like one of those guys that you read about that like Bowie was a huge fan of and like kind of oh, uh, influenced okay. his uh, like was a part of his sort of set of influences. But Scott Walker is uh, Scott. Walker's I think he covered he covered his uh, songs in English, I believe. Yeah, Scott Walker's another great poll. Um, another great comparison. Oh, I love Scott Walker. Um, but you mentioned, uh, who was the other person you mentioned with Jack? With Jack Harry Nelson. Harry Nelson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you like. I know you're a big fan of Nelson. Uh, mm -hmm. Patrick. So what about Fiona Apple reminds you of Nelson? 
like you mentioned before, you're like uh, you mentioned you guys were talking about how like she she's like talking about this like heartbreak and you know and like uh, you know like these uh, emotions and but she's she presented like a very jaunty, lively, lively tone throughout the album. Like it's almost like kind of it kind of masks like all the arc, like these uh, jauntiness kind of mask like this like darkness that she's trying to exude. Right. In a way. That makes sense. Have you seen the Harry Nil the Who is Harry Nilsson documentary per chance? I haven't I haven't caught that. I haven't either. That's yeah. been on my list for a long time because he is one of those guys, I don't know a ton about him, but he just really is one of those guys where it's like, man, I love this song. This song fucking rocks. Who made this song? And then you mm. look at the credits, and Harry Nilsson's name is probably yeah. on it, whether mm-hmm. directly or indirectly mm-hmm. attached to that song. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, for for the cinephile community who's <laughs> listening to this podcast, obviously he did the song uh, Everybody's Talking At Me mm-hmm. uh, from Midnight Cowboy, but he's just responsible for so many songs in mm-hmm. that era that name any song you like from the 60s and 70s, and he's probably attached uh, to it. Didn't he write Without You that, uh, well, that was actually a cover. Okay, and I do want to say that Everybody's Talking is also a cover. It's originally by Fred Neal. Oh did, shit! Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fred Neal, who was a contemporary, who was one of those. Like, I think Nelson was also kind of in that like New York folk scene that um, mm-hmm. that uh, Bob Dylan, Dave Van Ronk, and Lewin Davis were in. Uh, <laughs> that was crazy, dude. What the fuck? Yeah, dude, I wanted to throw just, that in there. You just, just got, you just <laughs> fucking got me with that one. Holy shit! Yeah, I just want to throw that in there. Uh, but no, but uh, Fred Neal was a contemporary of those guys. Yeah, Sopranos heads would know Fred Neal from his song "The Dolphins." which was um, underneath a scene of, I think, Chrissy relapsing, and I want to say maybe season two or three. Damn. But in anyways, in anyways, um, I like that. I like this album. I like that this is... Um, uh, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't have too much more else to say about this al- album other than... Um, I. Oh, ma- yeah. Before I guess my my other my only other question for you guys before we dive into the fast facts because we we've we've sort of danced around it but we haven't talked about it directly well, we did a little bit but we're gonna talk about it a lot more now Mason did you listen to the John Bryan leaks I did not get around to it I listened to <laughs> I listened to a couple of them and I listened to the leak of Oh Well and I just uh, I am a dummy and I couldn't tell the difference between the leaked version and the studio ver- or the studio release this release version. Uh, didn't get around to it, unfortunately, but I, what's, what's, you, it sounds like Patrick has some, a lot of familiarity with that, I bet. No, it sounds like you listened to it. So what's like the big difference, um, between the, 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 the John Bryan leaks and the re-recorded 2005 release of this, of the album here? Patrick, you take that one first. What do you think the biggest differences are? Like, um... Like I said, you know, like the, the, the orchestrations are definitely much more different, though. Like, um, but but at times, like I mean, the 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 what I've listened from the leak, they're also just as good as the one in the final product. But I can see why Apple then decided to go in a different direction because I I think she was already she felt that um, the. Brian's orchestrations were kind of over overwhelming at the expense of the her lyrics. That's why, mm. like, it was becoming more of a John Bryan album than a Fiona Apple album. So she had to decide to to go back to you know she had to restart that, but like reorchestrate. But, yeah, but but the one that the, the orchestrations are, the 
the original orchestrations are are also just still just as great. Yeah, the 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 original orchestrations it would just it would just been a very different album. You know, I think what you said is absolutely true, Patrick. That it would have felt more like a John Bryan featuring Fiona Apple album potentially if they had sort of kept what they had originally mm-hmm. as opposed to a Fiona Apple album, mm-hmm. you know, produced by John Bryan. I think that mm-hmm. is really the main difference because you're listening to these leaks mm-hmm. and they sound like cinema, like they sound like scores mm-hmm. that would have been in Punch Drunk Love and Magnolia mm-hmm. and, you know, any movie that was really, he was attached to around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Fiona Apple extraordinary machine that wasn't produced by Brian it has that cabaret, jazzy, you know, knockabout feeling uh, that we were discussing previously. So that really, to me, is the biggest difference is like, mm-hmm. one, the, the leaks are John Bryan and Fiona Apple very much at an equal mm-hmm. footing, whereas the newest album that we have, the 2005 version that we're all familiar with that's on Spotify, mm-hmm. you can feel the John Bryan influence and on those mm-hmm. tracks that are still there, but it really does feel like a Fiona mm-hmm. Apple album more so that's what i would say mason it's definitely worth skimming through and listening to little Mm -hmm. moments from the league it's a really good album it's just not a fiona apple album at least in my eyes it doesn't really feel like one it feels like a john bryan album with fiona apple on the track that's what i like about fiona apple is um she is very good at knowing what she wants and sticking up for herself and um for that we have no choice but to stand so no we want you to throw some fast facts at us Okay, I already told you guys about the the title shit, so we're not going to get back into that. Okay, we're not going to get into that right away. Okay, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Okay, because I already talked about that. Uh, Okay, so uh, after completing a concert tour in support of her second album, Win the Pawn, it's the name of the album, in 2000, Fiona Apple relocated to Los Angeles. She says, the first couple years of After Pawn, I didn't have anything left in me to write about. I just figured if the songs came to me, they came to me. And if not, oh well, it's been fun. During her, her, during her hiatus, so that fucking million and billion, jillion, fatillion times fast. You got Apple it. contemplated, it's, it's fine, you got it, okay, no worries. Mm. Apple, please, let me just say the fact. Uh, Apple <laughs> contemplated retiring <laughs> from her recording career. In spring 2002, Apple and John Bryan, her longtime friend and producer on Win the Pawn. So Bryan did produce Win the Pawn. Now I really ought to listen to Win the Pawn to hear like what that actually sounds like versus Extraordinary Machine. They guess they had a, a weekly lunch meeting that they would do, and so they met for that. And Bryan was actually in a relationship for five years with Mary Lynn Rajskub. I think it's Rajskub. I think it's Rajskub. Rage Cub, who plays, of course, Barry's sister in Punch Drunk Love, the, mm-hmm. the main sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, they It abruptly ended during the filming of Punch Drunk Love. Brian was scoring it, and he reportedly, quote, begged Fiona Apple to make another album after being <laughs> forced to watch hours of footage of, how did you say it? Rage Cub? Is Rage that how you Cub. said it? Rage Cub. Well, mm-hmm. while working on the film, Brian is quoted as saying, I need work that can save me. Apple agreed, and Brian went to Apple's label, Epic Records, with strict stipulations, including no deadline, which was really good how that worked out now that we know <laughs> sort of the, the history of this album, which eventually the label agreed to. Mm. November 2002 was the tentative deadline for Extraordinary 
machine. Nice. That's my first fast fact, folks. We got mm. a couple more here, though. These are a little bit on the longer side. Uh, in late June 2004, the song Extraordinary, which had been retitled, obviously, to be Extraordinary Machine, was leaked onto the internet. Soon after, a rough mix of Better Version of Me also leaked, with the following inscription listed as a comment in the properties of the MP3 file. Quote, It has some good bits, but I still think we never topped the second version. Ideally, we would combine some of this with that, but obviously we can't. Sigh. Ask others what they think. I know she was partial to both of them, particularly the second. We have to believe that's probably John Bryan. Uh, by early March 2005, radio recordings of Waltz, Please Please Me, O Sailor, and Window had leaked online. Uh, those were followed by better quality cuts of Oh Well and Red, Red, Red. So I've never had anything leaked online. Mason, I know you have had nudes leaked online. Just kidding. Yeah, I was part kidding. of the fappening. Sorry. Yeah, that was part of the fappening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Patrick, I don't even know if you've had anything leaked online. Who knows? But, uh, you know, I don't know what that feels like. It has to, I would imagine it feels shitty to be working on something for years and then to have it fucking leaked and be like, well, do I even bother putting that out? So I feel for hmm. everybody involved right. in that situation yeah. big time, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, is, Yeah, and I feel like that was, you know, 2002, five. That was early. Uh, to my knowledge, that was like kind of Napster, Kazaa, really when people were yeah. trying to like – LimeWire. Yeah, LimeWire, definitely. So, <laughs> you know, who knows if this was, if those songs were relabeled and they were by, like, Liz Fair or something, you know. Oh, but, but like. Exactly. Yeah, but that must have been, uh, that must have been wild when um, it, it, you were working on something and then it leaked, um, some, especially something like this, and Fiona Apple's music, which does, which is so personal, uh, versus nowadays when something leaks and it's like a camera of Tenet because you can't go to the movie theater or else you'll die. Uh, yeah, different exactly. time. It's crazy how, how mm. time changes things. Mm. It's crazy. It's crazy that now if you go to a movie theater, you'll die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Entertainment <laughs> Weekly. You won't reported... even get COVID if you go when there's just a big uh, there's just a big Irish immigrant. He's gonna bear hug you until he's strangled to death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got fat bastard waiting in the lobby. <laughs> get in my belly, and he's got COVID inside of his belly. Uh, Entertainment Weekly reported in its June twenty fourth two thousand five issue that Fiona Apple was preparing to work on a quote second third album with producer Brian Kehue of the electronica band The Moog Cookbook, further fueling speculation amongst fans that the leaked machine tracks had been shelved indefinitely. It was also said that the album was, quote, not canceled, was in co-production with Mike Elizondo, and would be a dual disc, all of which would be later confirmed as true. So you got two new producers, one of an electronica band, one Mike Elizondo, who I don't have information in front of me, but I believe he was more of like a like a like a R&B producer at the time which makes somewhat sense mm-hmm. if you combine it with the electronica stuff i guess you get this album uh, of the 11 tracks previously leaked two remain unchanged like we said extraordinary machine and waltz but nine were completely rearranged one new song parting gift was also included in the album it is a solo vocal piece with piano that was recorded on the first take that's crazy mm-hmm. how about that it's amazing uh, I got one more. Yeah, I got one more fact for you here. The official version of Extraordinary Machine was ranked on one year-end top albums list of Entertainment Weekly. What the hell? 
I'm sorry. The official version of Extraordinary Machine was ranked number one on year-end top albums list of Entertainment Weekly, The New York Times, and Slant Magazine, within the top five of Village Voice, Blender, and Rolling Stone, and in the top ten of the LA Times and Spin Magazine. Some publications regarded the album less favorably. Stylist Magazine described it as, quote, a rudderless piece of work and a, quote, bitterly disappointing listen. Uh, Spin Magazine stated, quote, it's kind of been done. And noted Apple reigned in a penchant to overwrite and Pitchfork, which placed the leaked version of the album at number 46 in their top 50 albums of 2005 list. It's a fucking classic Pitchfork move. Yeah, big uh, wrote, oh God. It's so I hate that. That's shitty. Uh, the shame of it all. This is what Pitchfork wrote. The shame of it all is that Apple, after six years of silence, could have made a more definitive, progressive statement rather than something familiar and similar and we've got the bootlegs to prove it. That gets big fucking thumbs down from me from Pitchfork on that one. That's uh, so silly. Um, so silly. It, I, it, Pitchfork, when they're on something, they're really on something. And it does just really bum you out when that happens. But 2020, they gave it Pitch the Bolt Cutters a perfect 10 upon initial hmm. release. So even a broken clock is right twice a day. There you go. Hmm. True. I do just uh, also want to point out this has been uh, something I've been wanting to say for a little bit. It feels like there's a little lull before we get into some important stuff, mainly MVP and recommendations. Uh, Patrick, I think, is the comfiest we've ever had a guest. I didn't realize that he was like laying down on his like a, a couch or a love seat or something during recording, and he looks yeah, very so comfortable. <laughs> so funny. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Patrick, would you agree that you're the comfiest a guest has ever been on this show? I guess. I mean, it's hard for me to <laughs> tell because, you know, I haven't seen. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just go out on a limb and say, I think Mason's onto something with that. Uh, Patrick, as the guest, we'll start with you. We do, obviously, the Mercedes Valuable Player Award, which, of course, as you know, but the listeners might not know. Haha, I'm going to do the bit. It's named after Mercedes Rell from Married to the Mob, Jonathan Demme's 1988 masterpiece. Patrick, what is your Mercedes Valuable Player? What is your thing that you're going to give your MVP award to on this album? Huh. Yeah, I'm. I th- yeah, I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with the title track. Extraordinary nice. scene. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Good choice. Mason, what about you? Uh, I'm gonna give mine to the lyric from parting. Um, from parting glances, which I think sort of um, is sort of uh, this whole album in one little little vial. Uh, <laughs> silly, stupid pastime of mine. You were always good for a rhyme. Uh, that one lyric Cute. is my mm-hmm. MVP, even though I love the whole album. Noe, what's your MVP mm-hmm. here? Uh, I'm going to go a little bit more broad than you guys. Uh, my Mercedes Valuable Player, my MVP, goes to Fiona Apple's voice and the timbre nice. of her voice. Mm-hmm. I just think that she's got a great voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, every song that you hear from her, I just think that it's fantastic, you know, for one reason or another. But the mm-hmm. thing that's constant throughout, even though she has had evolutions – is her voice. She, you know, she's not, you know, quote unquote, a young woman anymore. You know, she's in, I think her forties, I think at this point, yeah, maybe yeah. late thirties. She's still but, a young, she's still a young woman, but she's not like, you know, ingenue a record or whatever the label. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. She's not a record a music industry, quote unquote, young woman right, uh, right. anymore. Um, but her voice still fucking kicks ass. The opening yeah, track of Fetch the Bolt Cutters, uh, I Want You to Love Me, that vocal performance mm-hmm. I think is one of the best female vocal performances I've ever heard in my entire life. And every song on this, 
she sings just to a T and she's got a great mm. timbre to her voice. So that's my Mercedes valuable player is Fiona Apple's voice. Patrick, do you recommend this album? Oh, most definitely. I mean, even I've only, I haven't listened to all of the, much, much of her stuff, but if this is, this might be a good starting point for like, no, not, you know, like, no, no, just like, you know, and then they, they make, they can just catch up on her path and future stuff. It's like a good, because it's like a good middle point. Cause it's like her third, She's only she's released like five albums and it's like the midpoint, so it's like sure. a good, good, good starting point. And yeah. based on how her career is going, we might not get an album for twenty more fucking years. So just enjoy <laughs> these gonna, five. That one's gonna be a masterpiece, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that one's gonna be another fucking perfect ten from Pitchfork right off the bat. Mason, hmm. do you recommend this? I do. This one gets a recommend for me. This is probably even gonna be a light full recommend for me. Honestly, Damn. Uh, I think that this is uh, like Patrick was saying. I think that this is. Without having heard um, the rest of her output, I think this is is a good spot to start with. Um, uh, start with her music. Uh, loved it. Loved listening to it. I gave this one three spins, uh, and it just got better every single time. So it's probably gonna be something that I'm gonna just keep coming back and listening to, and I can't imagine it's gonna get any worse. So Noe, do you recommend this album? I can't believe you keep fucking upping your number and lying to people about how often you're listening to these (laughs) albums. I can't believe you continue to fucking lie to our audience like that. Uh, Yeah, this is a full recommend from me. Hell yeah. Uh, This album just rocks. Uh, It's one of those situations where I'm not going to say every single song is like amazing, but every single song is worth listening to on your first spin and every yeah. single song I think is worth mm-hmm. listening to. Even if you decide to skip it after your first uh, listen, it's just a matter of preference at that point. I don't think there are any bad songs on this album. I think yeah. I will skip a couple here and there uh, when I go back to this, but I can see myself going back to this one for sure. So this one gets a full recommend from me mm-hmm. that closes. It actually, you know what Mason? I can't believe that we've never put it like this before. But because it gets a full recommend from me, you got to put it on your list, Mason. You got to put it on your list, folks. How have we been almost 50 fucking episodes into this podcast (laughs) and we've never said that before? I feel so silly for not thinking about that. Good point. Uh, Let's go talk about the movie now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yeah, go ahead and put – I'm going to tell you to go ahead and put this one on your list. Uh, We are moving on to the movie, which is, of course, a guest choice as well. Patrick, go ahead and preview the movie that you brought on as well for us. Well, our our movie pick for this episode, uh, my movie pick, um, is uh, Joe vs. the Volcano, a 1990 film written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, um, starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and their first team up before People's in Seattle and You've Got Mail. In my opinion, this is their most underrated and still the, my, my, their best collaboration together. Damn, nice. Okay, very yeah. succinct, very straightforward. You got all the information you need in that preview. Thank you for that. Uh, Patrick, what is your relationship to Joe versus the Volcano, and why did you want to bring it on this podcast? Joe versus the Volcano is because uh, it was a frequent staple because when I was still in the Philippines, we also have HBO Asia there. So, oh, okay. you know, oh, okay. yeah, so, um, so that was like a frequent staple there. Like, you know, like the ones that I grew up, like, you know, when I was like building my film, you know, cause 
trying to absorb more knowledge about film films in general and because mm. it was like it was like joe versus kino like top secret uh, donnie darko and uh what else um like a lot of yeah it was, it was like one of my gateway films growing up wow and it, and and yeah because like um um like like fourth gump got of all films got me interested like got me to take filmmaking seriously and then it was almost like it kind of led me to like Joe Bird of the Volcano in a way. Sure. So, so you yeah. had you said you had HBO Asia uh, in the Philippines. What mm-hmm. is the difference between HBO Asia and what we have in the United States, if anything? You know, I just I've never even heard of that. Well, I mean, given this HBO, well, there's first stars. I don't think I don't think they showed Sopranos <laughs> when the, you know it's original sure. airing there, and uh, and you and what for whatever like and. And even when like stuff like Sex in the City, I, I I'm pretty sure they they censored a lot of stuff there. Interesting. Gotcha. Okay. Well, if you get the yeah. chance, go through The Sopranos now. I, that was a big quarantine uh, watch for me. I, I absolutely love The Sopranos. So if you haven't gone through that, uh, mm-hmm. big fucking ups for The Sopranos. And I think Mason, you would mm-hmm. even uh, back me up on that. Love The Sopranos. Uh, I was trying to rewatch it, uh, but I forgot that it gets really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, later in the show. Uh, so uh, maybe wait until maybe this isn't a wintertime seasonal affective disorder watch. Maybe wait until sure. springtime. We're not. It's it's not dark for eight uh fourteen hours a day or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, maybe watch Joe versus the volcano instead. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's a good call. Uh, yeah. So you watched, so this was just popping up on, uh, HBO in Asia, uh, HBO Asia there for you. And this is a formative, uh, film. I also like that you shouted out Forrest Gump, which is a formative picture for young, uh, Noe Marger over there as well. Very, very much so. And, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to go down that path, uh, I was thinking about this the other day because I'm a huge Tom Hanks guy. Mm-hmm. He was my favorite actor for a long, long time. He's still one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember I used to watch either on demand or I had recorded it and it was on like the DVR when the DVR was first a thing. But do you remember that A&E used to legitimately do biographies? Like, do you remember the HB A&E biography shit? Mm -hmm. So I, there was one about Tom Hanks. Have you seen the, the A&E biography on Tom Hanks, Patrick? I don't think I have, but, um, cause, cause I, I don't think I, we got biography over there back then, but or even because because I only were subscribed to like the because they used to have a biography magazine, but that, that was like my only exposure to that one. Okay, well, if yeah. you can find it on YouTube, it's worth watching because it really does like humanize him in this way. Because I remember reading a fact about Tom Hanks once that like Entertainment Weekly called him the only actor at the time. This was probably around the time when Forrest Gump was out, if not slightly after, so the mid to late 90s. They called him the only actor worth $20 million, which is a huge you know, sum of money, but it's also just a huge compliment to the guy. Mm. And I don't know if I'm like 100% on board with that sentiment that he's the only one. I think there's some actors that have come since that have rivaled that. But he's one of them, man. I mean, he's mm. just one of the best guys to ever grace the screen, Forrest Gump was my favorite movie for a long, long time. Seen mm-hmm. it countless times. Have it on mm-hmm. Blu-ray and like dual disc DVD. I think I think I have it on both. So huge for me. And in mm-hmm. that A and E biography, 
they talked about Joe versus the volcano briefly, but only like in name. Like they talked about some of his like earlier stuff, like the money pit, uh, the man with one red shoe, nothing in common. These mm-hmm. very early Tom Hanks movies where he was basically known as just a comedic mm-hmm. actor. Mm-hmm. He had been nominated for Big mm-hmm. already at this point, which yeah. was in 1988. So he already knew, you know, he had some Oscar prestige to him and he had a little bit of showing that he was not not just like a comedy guy, but he had he could do drama as well. Mm-hmm. He's just the fucking best. And so I oh, knew yeah. about Joe versus the volcano in name, along with like the man with one red shoe, the money pit and all that. Had never seen it. And it really wasn't high on my list because I had heard that it wasn't very good. That was basically what I knew about it is that Mm -hmm. people didn't like it. And there were other movies that I wanted to watch more. And I'm like, maybe one day I'll get to Joe versus the volcano. But I love Tom Hanks. And I've seen Doubt. Doubt is very different from this. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a John Patrick Shanley written and directed by as well. As of now, he's only got two movies. But Patrick, you actually sent Mason and I the trailer for his new movie that's mm-hmm. coming out next year, right? I think it's uh, I think it's gonna be released next month, I think, and then there's like a like a limited release for whatever theaters are open, and they'll probably release on VOD. But um, yeah, um, it's a Wild Mountain time, and just like that is also based on a play that he wrote a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, and um, and. And I was watching it because uh, if you because it's been that trailer's been getting a bit of a I was surprised that it's getting a bit of a Twitter backlash because of really, the, really? because of the Irish accents. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you I put anything you put anything on Twitter and they'll fucking find a way to backlash it. That's kind of their thing. So. Yeah, but you know, but uh, yeah, I was watching the trailer like, yeah, yeah, and they're like, yeah, it can definitely tell the John Patrick Shanley because of the. Like there's a very like uh, wistful, like romantic, you know. There's like a like it's trademark romanticism that's on display there because you know he also wrote Moonstruck way before before. Right, he, right, yeah. yeah. He had and, won uh, the Oscar for Moonstruck prior to this, mm-hmm. and yeah. then um, it's ba- think... this is basically his blank check movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's I was reading and an interview. When... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after when this when Joe Kano was a disappointment, he had to to recoup by doing work for hire in Hollywood. Cause, cause did you, if you check his IMDb, he, 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 he has some pretty strange writing credits post Joe versus the volcano. Like he, yeah. he co-wrote, um, we're back a dinosaur story. Yeah, that's right. The, that's right. And, and Congo. Yes. It's so weird. I was looking at oh, up... alive, alive and alive. Yes. The, um, the, uh, the Andes mountain, um, yeah. uh, plane crash movie, which was a staple of AMC on like Saturday morning when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Speaking like this movie, um, uh, was not like, I had known it sort of by name, like no, he had, I think that my only sort of context for it was, a bit, I think, on the show The Critic, the animated TV show The Critic. Oh, shit. Um, okay. And I think that it was either that or The Simpsons or something else. Um, and that went straight up. Uh, it, the thing that I remember is there's like a Tom Hanks caricature and a Meg Ryan caricature in the red car that the second Meg Ryan character's in. And they drive into a volcano and the volcano blows up. That's all I remember. Classic. Joe versus the volcano. And I feel. Classic bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I knew it. It's it was interesting to me reading about the reception for this movie after watching it 
because I didn't realize that people maybe I knew that this is something of a cult favorite, but I didn't know that this was like as critically kind of reviled um, at the time uh, that nobody really got on its wavelength except for King Roger. And we do have mm-hmm. to stand for King Roger because he, he understood, mm-hmm. but it's so watching this movie. I don't understand that why people wouldn't like it. And I don't know if this is just like a 2020 thing where we just don't get movies like this anymore. So anything that's kind of like this feels like a treat. But when I was watching this movie, I was falling in love with it basically from first frame through the end. Like I was reading reviews and it it doesn't – Roger Ebert's review begins sort of paraphrasing here that um, it doesn't remind of any other movies. And for that, I, I agree with it. I agree with him. It doesn't really remind me of any other movies. But it has a sort of same, like, kind of cinematic quality as, like, a Powell and Pressburger movie. Mm-hmm. Or, like, mm-hmm. an old, like, kind of classic um, mm-hmm. studio, kind of big-budget adventure mm-hmm. picture. Um, yeah. But it has this, like, sweetness to it that a lot of mm-hmm. those other movies don't have. And it's so funny to me that, like, critics back then just had such sticks up their butts about it. And it was seen as this, like, huge disappointment, almost. Um, it's so funny. To, it, it's just, it's interesting. It's It was a quite an experience. It was a good movie. Patrick, and, I am curious to ask you, what is it specifically about Joe versus the Volcano that you like so much? And I guess, going off that, why did you decide to bring it on this podcast? Joe versus the Volcano, because... I've seen that movie more times than I could remember. Like, it's one of the most strangest, beautiful, most strangest, most beautiful, most funniest, most, most, most romantic, most life affirming films I've seen. Like, in all in one package. Like, like it. It also um it it manages to be both um because the thing I like in this type of like quirky comedy, like it manages to be sweet with a lot of surrealism in it, sure, while still yeah. maintaining a bit of sincerity. And the end result is is basically just sublime. It's just, it's just, it's totally. just very effervescent, you know. Like it. Yes. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. No. To, I I totally agree with you on that. It's and I and I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a stinker, guys. I'm sorry. Ah. Uh, 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 Noah. Noah, come on! <laughs> like Joe versus the volcano, you dumbass. Okay. Noah. Here's the thing. So Here's the thing. Keep going. Talk about the, how. Be a little stinker. I have to adjust the thermostat for my neighbors. Long story. I'm going to keep this in the podcast, but keep talking. I'll be back in one second. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, okay. Catch. I'll give Mason the abridged version when he comes back. But for the meantime, welcome okay. to the Noah and Patrick podcast. Uh, <laughs> so, Patrick, I like that you brought this on the show. Mm-hmm. I. It was just one of those ones where I was just like. I know eventually I will probably get to this if I want to see everything that Tom Hanks has ever been in. Mm-hmm. And this is a very sweet movie. I can't deny the fact that this is a very sweet movie. Mm-hmm. This is a movie with a lot of heart. This is a movie that is very earnest. Mm-hmm. And I get why people don't like it because I'm one of those people that really didn't like this movie. Mm-hmm. And I felt bad that I didn't like this movie mm-hmm. because of how sweet it is. But the reasons why I don't like the movie uh-huh. is because I can't get behind 
anything that happens once Lloyd Bridges' character shows up. I know that it's a fantasy. I know that we're just supposed to go with it, but I just can't buy into any of that. And so everything that happens after, I'm just not on board with. That's the broad reason why I wasn't on board for Joe versus the Volcano. But I like the beginning of this movie. I Mm -hmm. like the beginning of the movie where he's at the factory. And I had actually seen part of the beginning before, like the first five minutes I had seen before. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually had seen a little bit of the movie before. I was in a class in college called Theater and World Cultures. And for some reason, Mm -hmm. our professor... Shout out Dr. Andrew Chappell. Very, very nice guy if you ever find your way to this episode of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, He showed us the beginning of this movie, and I don't remember why. It was probably something to do with, like, the set design and, like, expressionism Mm -hmm. or something like that is my guess. Uh, And he showed us the, the opening title sequence, and he was like, this is awesome. If you guys can watch this movie, make sure you go out of your way to watch this movie. And he also showed us the opening to another movie, which I have a feeling might come across this podcast desk one day. Have either of you seen the Peyton Reed film, Down With Love? Yes, I love that movie. Yeah, Patrick, are you familiar with that one? I've seen bits of it, but I haven't seen it. But yeah, what I've saw, I, I liked it. What it's I a think. very cute movie, very much in the Mad Men you know, type of universe, mm-hmm. you know, 50s yeah. corporate America or whatever. And we watched the opening of that, I think, maybe for the same reasons. And so those two movies, Joe vs. Volcano mm-hmm. and Down With Love, are like, intertwined in my head i've not seen all of down with love but i would like to and i have a feeling it will be one movie that oh you haven't seen this. all of down with love no i've only seen the beginning oh, uh, so, part so, of oh, it interesting. oh we may have to bring i've seen that movie before but we may need to bring that on the show honestly i really like that movie i think it will come up on the podcast whether you bring it on i bring it on because i'm curious or a guest brings it on. it's just one of those where it's like yeah if yeah. you know about it and you've seen it you probably love it like it's just yeah. one of those and if you haven't heard of it there's a reason is because it will probably never come across you know, like your like dashboard or whatever yeah um but so for whatever reason those two movies are intertwined in my head and married but once lloyd bridges shows up for me i'm just not as interested I have a hard time sort of buying into Tom Hanks's, I guess, decision and like his character choices that kind of happen throughout the rest of the movie. And it's kind of like birth in the sense where it's like if you can get on board with the concept, you're going to be into it. I think the concept is stronger in birth for this one. You know, I felt bad for not liking because I'm like, oh, this is clearly a sweet movie that everyone liked working on. Like they put a lot of effort and like Kathleen Kennedy, Steven Spielberg and Frank Marshall are all executive producers on this. Like, it had backing and had prestigious people working behind it. I just could never really dive into it. I don't hate the movie. I just never – I just, like, expected to like it more based on what I knew about it and then just thought it was kind of, all right, whatever. You know, like, I just was, like, not that into it. That's my spiel about it. That's kind of how I feel about it. I don't have any ill will toward the movie. That's Mm -hmm. just sort of where I stand with it. That's fair. Fair, yeah. Thanks, guys. I mean, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick and I, Patrick and I have a capacity for wonder in the in this world, and it, it just I guess seems so. like no, he doesn't. That's fair. Yeah, I'm I a that's completely, just... I'm a complete black hole of fucking, pit, you know, <laughs> despair and shit. Call me, call me Noah Scrooge, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> call me Noah the Turkey Stealer. I'm coming to your guys' house and stealing your turkeys this Thanksgiving. Hmm. I don't know. There's things to like about this movie, but I'll be quiet for a little bit. Mason and Patrick, take the floor. What do you guys like about Joe versus the Volcano? 
Oh man, Patrick, why don't you do it? Because you, this is my first time seeing it. You have a history. You, you've seen said you've seen this multiple times. So, what do you get from this? Um, I agree with you that this is a very, I think, life affirming movie. Um, I think it's very uh, creatively done. But what are some mm-hmm. things that um, keep you returning to this to, to this movie throughout your life? It's just that um, one thing I love about this film is just it's just it, it, it's innate embrace of like you know like romanticism like you know yeah 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 it's like very you know like um it like it kind of it's it, it's almost overwhelming in a way and 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 it it's also like a it's like this was also um like it's also nice uh it's like a perfect balance of Tom Hanks when he was transitioning from being like a like a comedic actor to the more serious actor and mm-hmm. in a way it's interesting how it also when you look at the film it, it's interesting how it even foreshadows a lot of his like future films in a way yeah castaway in particular was one that came yeah. to my mind yeah and of course it's you know future collaborations with meg ryan and, yeah and, uh, i yeah. that was yeah i f- didn't realize that this movie came out at, uh prior to sleepless in seattle because I was watching this movie and I was thinking, like, the magic of Sleepless in Seattle is that, like, you just, you're watching that movie and you just, if, maybe not everybody, but me in particular, you're just buying into seeing mm-hmm. these two very pretty people mm-hmm. meet each other. And Tom Hanks doesn't really know that she exists, but they have that <laughs> moment in the middle of the movie where they, like, lock eyes from across the highway or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And this movie feels like it should come after Sleepless in Seattle, where it's like, okay, we've teased you guys enough with getting these two on screen together. How about we give you three Meg Ryans and one Tom <laughs> Hanks, <laughs> and yeah. we're just going to have a grand old time here. Because um, mm-hmm. they have incredible chemistry together, and I just want to say, I don't... She, I. I just want to say that Meg Ryan is doing some goddamn incredible work in this. It was true. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's she finds the sort of humanistic core of Dee Dee, Angelica, and uh, Patricia. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, I think like for me, her the uh, the understanding of the sort of like uh, bifurcated nature of Angelica's like personality, where she's always mm-hmm. kind of she's always putting on a performance yeah, and then she lets it kind of slip a couple times mm-hmm. and she displays some real vulnerability. And then she like realizes that she has to be putting on this performance again and she goes right back. Uh-huh. Um, so good. I, it, I, it was incredible. And I love Meg Ryan. I love her in Nora Ephron movies. And uh, I think she's so charming. Um, and I love that she gets to have a little bit of, fun here because i think that she's very much just kind of um uh in those movies playing Mm -hmm. a uh just 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 uh, a real sweetheart and here she also plays a sweetheart but is allowed to be kind of something of a character actor Mm -hmm. um so that was one big thing for me watching this was just really falling uh and just just being in awe of meg ryan's Mm -hmm. talent and uh this era meg ryan Mm all-time babe Mm mm-hmm Oh, huge. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was I, like, I was like, is Mason going to say it? Am I going to have to say no, it? Like, I, who's going to say it here? But I, this uh, era, Meg Ryan, all-time babe. Uh, it, but yeah, I think so. I think that she's 
listen, she's um uh very pretty, definitely. And uh I don't know. I thought that uh Dee Dee, the first girl that she plays was super cute. Uh, nothing mm-hmm. against blonde hair, blue eyed Meg Ryan, but I thought that that, that Dee Dee, the secretary that she plays mm-hmm. was super, super cute. Uh, but it was not meant to be. That's, <laughs> but, uh, big that's time. why there are three Meg Ryans because <laughs> the first one's not meant to be. And the second one is a, what word does she describe herself as a, uh, I have it in my notes. What the fuck is that word? A, a flibber to gibbet. gibbet. Yeah. yeah. A flibber to gibbet. Yes. She is a flibber to gibbet, which, mm-hmm. I have a fast fact about later, but I could not believe I heard that word in a movie. That was freaky. That's how she's been described. Um, and that, yeah. And it, it feels like a fun little, like kind of the fact that she like kind of puts this little, sure uh, little thing on. It seems like she's putting fun of herself. Also, I just realized, cause um, I thought um, I've heard that voice that she does for her character before. And then, and then it turns out um, she did the voice, she did the voice voice of Dr. Blight for one season of Captain Planet and the Planeteer. That's why that voice sounded so familiar. Weird. That's so <laughs> weird. That's such a crazy, random Meg Ryan fact. She's yeah. the she's an actress or an actor, you know, however, you know, people want to call it at this point, that I she had a very distinct run. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of feels like after you've got mail that it just kind of stopped for her, which is unfortunate because she's very talented. Mm-hmm. And I and I always wondered why did she not have success at I guess the next stage of her life maybe mm-hmm. playing more maternal figures or like more aunt characters. I just thought that was a big crime against Meg Ryan cuz she's mm-hmm. supremely talented. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a crime against uh actors after a certain age that once they can't be <laughs> <laughs> actors after a certain age starting I'm sorry, Meg uh, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> female actors up- female actors after a certain age uh kind of mm-hmm. get put out to pasture somewhat. Um, sucks dude it's fucking yeah, terrible dude. they should yeah. fucking you know it's more of a symptom of hollywood than it is obviously mm-hmm. the actors themselves and more of a symptom of like you know how what gets decided you know about roles that get written and what actually gets produced but mm-hmm. man dude she's so good in harry met sally and she's good in this movie mm-hmm. and she, i actually haven't seen sleepless in seattle or you've got mail but she's just great actor mm-hmm. and she just gets Left by the wayside, it feels like, once the 21st century rolls mm-hmm. around. So, uh, justice for Meg Ryan. Let's mm-hmm. get her back in some movies. Let's get some hashtags going, folks. Justice for mm-hmm. Meg Ryan. Um, definitely. Aside from Meg Ryan, <laughs> aside from Meg Ryan, I love uh, just the craft of this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, John Patrick Shanley kind of borrows... Um, at this time, uh, this time nascent um, Tim Burton collaborators. Well, they'd worked together before, but... You know, they hadn't quite exploded. Uh, Bo Welch on production design. This yep. is an immaculately designed film. Mm-hmm. And uh, Colleen Atwood, costume designer. Uh, incredible costumes in this movie. Colleen Atwood is, of course, the god. Um, also, and... the editor of this film, he also worked um, on the same same year. He also worked on Edward Scissorhands the same year as no uh, Bo Welch and, uh, and Colleen Atwood. No shit. Damn. Okay, yeah. so he's really... John... 
John Patrick Shanley literally looked at Edward Scissorhands, you know, that was going around. Everyone was talking about it. I was like, who can I, or Beetlejuice probably, honestly, because mm-hmm, yeah. it was a couple years before. Who can I fucking steal? Because I'm going to try and do my version of a Tim Burton movie is basically what we're <laughs> gathering here. Which isn't a bad thing at all. Tim Burton made some amazing movies. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I feel like um, John Patrick Shanley and Tim Burton are maybe a couple of years apart, but of that same generation where they probably grew up watching a lot of old movies on TV. And this does, absolutely, yeah, and this feels like one of the last big old movies because everything is more or less practical effects, um, mm-hmm. physical stages, stuff being made there. Uh, mm-hmm. like when there's that huge storm, the huge typhoon, you mm-hmm. can tell that they're like shooting it like in, um, like a water, like lot on, it's like <laughs> the MGM studios or something. They just have mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, like in a big, uh, in a big pool of water there. But mm-hmm. that's like kind of the, uh, why the, the endearingness of this movie to me mm-hmm. is that it's very much the thing that it's kind of keeping Noah from a, at a distance, which is the fairy tale and the fantasy and the mm-hmm. sort of heightened aspects of it. That's what really endear this movie to me. Um, I think that it's, uh, you don't see Miyazaki movies are definitely sort of fairy tales in their own mm-hmm. way, sort of like little, um, uh, you don't see those as much anymore and you don't really get sort of authentic versions of them in the first place. I think most movies just aren't, don't really attempt to do something like this whimsical. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's just, um, uh, for me, uh, I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for whimsy, you know, Mm -hmm. local hero is one of my favorite movies. It's a very whimsical Mm -hmm. film, but it's, I was thinking about local hero while I was watching this. And I guess for me, do you guys consider Punch Drunk Love a fairy tale? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's, it's, okay. It's for me around the, there. It's, it's sort of in and around that ballpark. That's one of my all-time favorite movies, if not my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. But a movie that I was actually thinking about a lot while I was watching this, and I don't know why, is 1979, Hal Ashby's Being There. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not 100% sure why. Joe is not really similar to Chauncey Gardner. Like, as far as characters are concerned, like, they're very different, mm-hmm. I feel. But I just kept thinking about that movie for some reason, and maybe it is just the, the tone yeah, that is stricken. Yeah, there's a very vibe in some scenes. The 100%, mm-hmm. you know, with the luggage and yeah. everything mm-hmm. when he's actually yeah. getting the luggage, which is a very funny mm-hmm. moment in the movie uh, and ends up being a big part mm-hmm. in the movie. I did like that the, he's literally surviving on this <laughs> raft that he's made out of the world's biggest trunk, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's got, it's got some Ashby moments mm-hmm. in it. Um, and yeah, it's just very interesting, but I want to also echo what you said, Mason, about the, uh, the set design and sort of the art department of this film, not to get a little bit too ahead of ourselves, but that actually might be coming up for me a little bit later uh, when we sort of wrap this, wrap this bad boy out. Um, but you know, what's actually interesting that you brought this on Patrick, because in my research for this, I found two articles Mm -hmm. from this year by major publications Mm -hmm. that have both reappraised Joe versus the volcano. Mm -hmm. Literally this year, articles were written basically being like, you may have missed it when it come out, but give it another shot. Come on guys. Come on. Give it Mm -hmm. Joe versus the volcano another shot. Maybe it's because everybody's out of work, you know, and it's (laughs) sort of like a take back your life type movie in a time Mm -hmm. where things are just falling apart left and right. And it's also 30th anniversary this year. That's true, and the 30th anniversary, so perfect timing as far as all that shit mm-hmm. is concerned. But USA Today and Elle magazine mm-hmm. both reappraised this movie in the year of our Lord 2020 and said, 
check out Joe versus the volcano wherever you can. If you have to rent it, rent it. So it's mm-hmm. very interesting that this movie is sort of kind of having a mini renaissance mm-hmm. right now. And I think a lot of people online would tell you this movie is unfairly marred based on what happened to it when it came out. So mm-hmm. a mini, a mini, uh, Joe Assange, I guess, for lack of a better term. There's also I can also think I could also um, give a shout out to um, two uh, well-known fans of this uh, this uh, film. Um, um, there's um, Stephen Falk, the creator of the underrated show You're the Worst. He's he's talked about this film a lot in interviews. It's like his favorite. Really, film. he really yeah. likes this movie. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, Interesting. Um, and also, I remember seeing a video of Jenny Slate also praising the movie. Interesting. Interesting. No, I've I don't never think seen of Jenny Slate as a fan of. I've never seen You're the Worst, but I don't think of Jenny Slate as like a whimsical person. I guess in that sense, you know, obvious child is very. Brother, you know, have you Marcel seen Marcel the shell. the shell with shoes mm-hmm. on? Is that her? That's her. Oh shit! She's that is Marcel whimsy. the shell. <laughs> okay, I stand corrected, but I have never seen You're the. I don't actually even know what You're the Worst is. Is that the? Uh, is that the show with the uh, Pamela Adlon? No, no that's, that's better, better things. things. Yeah, that's you're the worst. Things. Is okay. uh, it's another sort of it's an FX comedy, an LA based FX comedy with uh, Chris Gere and Aya Cash, and it's about mm-hmm. it. I really I never finished that show just because I think that the final season, no matter what happens, would completely wreck me, and I'm not ready for that emotionally yet. But it's Damn. about two people. And the conflict in the show is that these two people are awful for each other, but they're also kind of perfect matches for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also have uh, Desmond Borges as, or Borges maybe as Chris Gere sort of live in um, roommate uh, friend. You have Kether Donahue mm-hmm. as um, Aya Cash's best friend. And she's really funny on that show. Yeah. Uh, what's the guy's name that plays her husband? Um, shoot. Alan it's McLeod. A, Alan McLeod. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Really fucking funny show. Really great cast. Great L.A. Sh- uh, show about mm-hmm. just um, awful rich east side of L.A. people. Great soundtrack okay. also. That's a great, great incredible soundtrack. soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Uh, so, actually, You're the Worst gets a recommendation from me uh, the, Same here. right now. Yeah, so. Damn. Is it is it like, streaming anywhere? Can I Probably watch Hulu. this? I'm, I'm Hulu, yeah. It's on Hulu. Okay. Yeah. Nice. We're get, I'm looking at the uh, notable guest stars of You're the Worst right now. Thomas Middleditch, yeah. Mark Evan mm-hmm. Jackson, yeah. Sandra Bernhard, Henry Rollins, Ben Folds. Yeah, Ben Folds is really funny on that show. <laughs> ben Folds has a bit on that show, not to spoil too much, where it's like <laughs> Ben Folds. Oh, I'm trying to. I, I, there's 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 a, an impression of an analog to another show that Ben Folds is sort of the character type of that I can't quite grasp right now. But Ben Folds. Ben Folds' version of himself in the show is so funny because there's one episode where he's going around saying, like, like uh, asking people to do favors for him, and in return he'll tell them what the song Brick is about. <laughs> yes. That's very good. Very good. Very good. Um, you know which FX comedy I checked out, which is also a little bit slept on? I've only seen a couple episodes of it. The book is better when uh, me saying that, I guess, actually made me mean something because I don't fucking read, you know, worth a shit. But have you guys ever seen any of Man Seeking Woman with Jay Baruchel? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, That show's really. Yeah. That that show is super imaginative. Simon Rich. Shout out to Simon Mm -hmm. Rich. I am very sad the way an American pickle turned out because that movie 
maybe never had a chance based on what the actual short story is. But Simon Rich, amazing, worked on Inside Out. Uh, I don't know if he's the full credited screenwriter or just like an additional material guy. But one of the youngest writers ever on SNL. Mm -hmm. Super talented dude. Shout out to Simon Rich on that. But... We are not here to talk about FX comics. <laughs> you can way stream way. <laughs> on Hulu.com. Uh, is there any other thoughts that we have about Joe versus the volcano before we start to get into our like um, back back part of it? I I kind of appreciated the uh, you don't like the you kind of started to turn out to Lloyd Bridges billionaire when he popped up. I wrote uh, Lloyd Bridges equals Trump question mark in my notes. Yeah, it's very <laughs> scary. Um, I like that there's a little bit of a um, sort of um, uh, 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 a, a crooked capitalist kind of trope in this with the Lloyd Bridges sure. character, how he's yeah. trying to buy out the... Also, I love that the... Uh, I was cringing a little bit when they were explaining this like kind of... Uh, this island, and I was like, oh, uh-huh. is this going to be some weird, uh, like, you know, uh, rape, you, you know... At the time, quaint, but now we look back, it's like, oh, this is racist. But they kind of get away from it by being like, no, this is like a group of, like, what, Celts and Orthodox Jews that ended up in this Polynesian island. And so, yeah, and so, like, the the chief is played by Abe Vigoda or something. And Nathan Lane is also one of the. And Nathan Lane's there, too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That was really funny. Um, I like, oh, man. Oh, what else? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the dialogue, yeah, I, yeah. dialogue itself. I mean, especially when they, whenever they return to some of the lines, like I like how there's like a very rhythmic transition to the repetition. Like you yeah. know, especially like in the opening with Dan Hedaya, just repeating the same lines on sure. the phone. God. And also, and also when Tom Hanks, like you know. Um, I think I've seen you before, you know, to whatever Meg Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Feels like yeah. we've met before or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Pat, John Pat, you know what so, might, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know what my favorite, actually, my favorite scene in the entire movie might actually be is um, right after he gets the diagnosis that he has a cloud in his brain mm-hmm. and yeah. he leaves the office and it's just one giant yeah. pullout shot mm-hmm. and he goes to hug the dog. In this, this like moment of like oh, needing warmth so from good. somebody, mm-hmm. yeah, and then just the woman just like pulls the dog away, like get the fuck away from this guy, like what are you doing, you know? So uh, that's probably actually my favorite scene in the entire movie. Uh, I like pretty much everything that happens in that section of it. It's mm-hmm. just the rest of it that sort of loses me. But I had to shout out that moment. I love when there are just small little moments in movies that like really kind of sum up uh, an entire character, almost. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel like that's Joe uh, Banks in a nutshell. And you just get it in mm-hmm. that like one little moment based on the context that we have previous to that scene. That's a little pe- pe- little mini masterpiece of filmmaking in that yeah. movie. Also, I love the setups and payoffs in in some scenes. You know, it it it, it won't be like it feels like you know it, it won't feel like it. It feels like something you would expect from like an early Zemeckis comedy. Also, I'm not that familiar with Zemeckis's early comedy works. I am listening to the Blank Check season about Zemeckis uh, without following along and watching it. So I will take your word on that, Patrick. Yeah, his first two films are definitely worth checking out. They're just, I've only, se- they're, I've only yeah. seen Used Cars. Used Cars is very interesting and mm-hmm. feels... It's a very interesting movie. I watched it earlier uh, mm-hmm. this year, like early pandemic, I guess, like April or whatever. Very interesting movie. I Want to Hold Your Hand is on the list, on yeah, my that personal one's list great. to still see. Um, but yeah, in a way, it has that... It just sort of has that, like... 
zaniness mm-hmm. to it, you know, of a used car. It's very that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I miss those like I I I am bummed out that um uh a, a it's it's controversial controversial take machine david fincher had a point where it's like if if <laughs> if um studios aren't going to do make something that's going to make a billion dollars they're not going to do it joe versus the volcano would not get made today used cars wouldn't get made today or at least by like a major studio uh it would be a, a much more uphill battle to get something like this made um and i just i i just have to appreciate it for for that uh it's one of the things that i miss about the movies is that just the sort of like um not everything has to be this is a spectacular movie there's spectacle here um but it's so modest about its spectacle um it's it's about one man um uh uh coming to terms with his mortality basically mm-hmm. and sort of releasing that burden from himself which is if you're listening to this show it's been a common theme in my life recently <laughs> um sure. and so it really just sort of like <laughs> not to be completely honest like i was watching this movie and i was just sort of like oh je suis there's me <laughs> i get this i get this i understand it completely <laughs> it's hitting me right yeah. in the good spot here but i still think that like um, I don't know. It's it's sitting sitting fondly in in my head and my heart after watching it. Like it a lot. I love that, guys. I love and and it really does sort of everything you guys are saying about it like on paper. I like want to like this movie and then just when I watch it, you know, I'm just like I can't get with it, you know. And it pains me because I love in theory what we're talking about, but just in the execution it doesn't it doesn't hit for me in the same way. And I'm also not that big of a fan of Moonstruck either. Like, I'm not crazy about the script in Moonstruck. I'm not crazy about kind of what that whole movie is. I like Nick Cage in that movie. I think Nick Cage is very good. Cher is obviously good. But, like, I don't know. I just think it might be the John Patrick Shanley effect, to be honest with me. Uh, to be honest Did you with ever me, see I'd Doubt? Play. I did see Doubt, and I liked Doubt, but I didn't love it either. I was like, yeah. this is just a very solid movie philip seymour hoffman and meryl street you know it's got great fucking cast amy adams yeah viola davis um i'm thinking i'm with you on doubt i i like that movie a lot i think the this the performances are why you see that movie i feel like if i watch it now i'd be curious to watch it now that's all i'm gonna say it's kind of a movie you only watch once but it's like only only really need to see it once patrick have you seen doubt yeah i've seen doubt i thought it was it was all right i mean it's as far as you know like adaptations of plays goes because there was like a because there was like a trend at that time like they were like adapting like they were adapting a lot right. of tony winning plays to on the screen like i know i remember there was like the history boys proof like it yes was in the area but was, i think that was the much better of that bunch in my opinion and it's interesting because a lot of the scenes in joe versus the volcano in my eyes feel more like scenes that you would see on a in, on a stage in a play, specifically mm-hmm. the scenes between him and Meg Ryan when he's actually on the boat before mm-hmm. you know the storm hits, those felt like exactly like scenes that you would see played mm-hmm. out uh, on stage in a play. And I'm like, maybe this was the wrong medium for this for me. You know, obviously people like it. I'm just trying to figure out maybe what that disconnect is. But I don't know. Those scenes really did feel like scenes that would be in a play those scenes specifically he needs to revisit this and make a musical adaptation it's really yeah yes i would yeah dollar that 
Absolutely. A bugging music. Well, actually, we will we will get to that here in just a second. The <laughs> fast facts. It's not exactly what we want, but it's close. But I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Broadway adaptation of Joe versus the volcano. Mm-hmm. Whenever Broadway is safe to go back to, mm-hmm. it's on the list. We'll go and we'll do a live <laughs> a live podcast from you know, the Helen the, Hayes Theater. Explaining. <laughs> exactly. We'll do it in the middle of like all, the middle of the show. So we'll be talking. We'll hear the songs in the background, and people will just be throwing tomatoes at us. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I didn't come to hear the podcast. I came to see probably, you know, I don't know, Ben Platt play Joe or whatever it is. Yeah. That's it. Maybe it's Ben Platt is Joe. That's what's going to happen. All right. So what are some fast facts you got for us here, brother? Come on. I want to get far away from Ben Platt. I I don't dislike Ben Platt, but it's just the thought of that is uh, it's It's real. It's it's real. It's It's very real. It's very real. What are some thoughts? What are some fast facts you got here for us? I got some fast facts for you, boys. Strap in, as Bo Burnham would say. I don't know why I said that. Uh, The the lamp that Joe brings into his office display. Excuse me. The office, the lamp that he brings into his office displays the future events of the movie, including the yacht, a volcano, a large moon and plays nice. the film's theme song marooned with you, which was actually written by John Patrick Shanley. How about that? Okay. Very cool. It's first of the fast facts. Second fast fact. The company logo is seen in the entrance to the factory in the crumbling wall in mm. Joe's house in the shape mm. of the lightning bolt that sinks the boat mm-hmm. in the way up to the volcano. And in the film's trailer, which is included on the DVD is the lightning bolt that travels up the film's title and strikes the top. We love a recurring visual motif mm-hmm. throughout a movie, mm-hmm. especially when it's in the we DVD do. title mm-hmm. card. Shout out to visual motifs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the books that Joe shows to Mr. Waturi describe the plot of the film. Those are, of course, Romeo and Juliet, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. Robinson Crusoe, Getting Lost at Sea, mm-hmm. and The Odyssey. He metaphorically mm-hmm. returns home, so to speak. So, a little bit little bit of some literary stuff going on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks, John Patrick Shanley. Uh, f- f- I always fuck up this name. Fliberty Gibbet is a real word. <laughs> it is actually a real word. was not made up for this movie. The dictionary definition of Fliberty Gibbet is a frivolous, flighty, or excessively talking person. Hmm. That is the dictionary definition of the word. Thought it was made up for the film, but it wasn't. The soundtrack composed by George DeLaRue was released in very limited numbers as a promotional item. Only 3,000 copies were manufactured in the year 1990, the year of the movie's release, because of DeLaRue's strong following. I don't know how to say this. Mm-hmm. I believe it's Varese, Saraband, re-released the CD in 2002. So, there you go. We love that. And here's what we were talking about before with the musical. In 2012, San Diego's Lambs Players Theater presented the world premiere of a musical based on the film directed by Robert Smith. Smith is spelled S M Y T H insane. So it's not, it's way. not from the cure guy. It's not the cure is mm-hmm. making a Joe versus the volcano musical. God, I hope not. We're talking about just <laughs> clash of worlds on that. Uh, holy shit. Would have been Robert cool. Smith. Smythe, maybe Smythe, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Smith, we'll say. Uh, It featured a book, music and lyrics by Scott Hafso and Darcy Phillips, with musical direction by John Lorenz and additional musical arrangements by Taylor Peckham. 
Uh, last fast fact, this is about John Patrick Shanley himself. After his freshman year at NYU, Shanley was put on academic probation. He then enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps, serving in a stateside post during the Vietnam War. Following his military mm-hmm. service, he wrote a novel, then burned it, that's insane, and returned to the university with the help of the GI Bill and by supporting himself with a series of jobs. These are wild. Elevator operator, not even a job anymore. So shout out to elevator operators all over the world. Uh, the local, you know, 129 or whatever that union would be, uh, pro union for elevator operators on this pod. House painter, furniture mover, locksmith, and bartender, all while finishing up at NYU. And, of course, he graduated from NYU as valedictorian, nonetheless, in 1977. Good for Hard him. Hard work pays off. Shout out to John Patrick Shanley for finishing it at NYU. We love that. He's also got a pretty interesting Twitter feed. Like, you know, like um, it, it started out with just, like, posting, like, daily witty aphorisms every day. But, uh, like, but these days he's, like, transitioned more into, like, like he just posts like a video tweet every day, just like commenting, like mm. you know, like he would like say good morning, and then like he would just, you know, whatever. Pretty at that time, it's pretty wholesome feed. I'm sure it is. I feel like he's a very wholesome man. You know <laughs> what we've seen with Moonstruck and this, and then Doubt obviously tackles some darker stuff. But at the end of the day, you can tell it's coming from a place of a man who like wants to get to the bottom of something. You know, like he's yeah. not to like expose anyone he's in it to like contemplate these big Mm -hmm. ideas uh so i think that wholesome is a great word for him Mm -hmm. patrick as our guest of course what is your mercedes valuable player for joe versus the volcano if you had to pick just one thing Ooh, this is a tough one because like there's a lot of great uh, like because we already talked about meg ryan and we also talked about full wealth just production design um but i think i want to give a shout out to um most of all to i think my, uh, George Delarue's uh, music, because I think yeah. it's a big driving yeah. force of the film. Um, Delarue, um, he, um, he, he's more known for his uh, work on French New Wave films of Truffaut. I, I think he even won an Oscar for A Little Romance also. And I think he also did the score for Platoon, I think. Yeah, but yeah, he's mo- hmm. more, more known for his work on, on with Truffaut. But yeah, this is, uh, yeah. Nice. Very, very good pick. Yeah, Mason, yeah, who's yeah. your Mercedes Bible player? So I am between two, um, not sort of related to each other, but it's just uh, two things that kind of make this movie this movie for me. So I'm just going to give it to both. I, I'm going to do a co-Mercedes Valuable player on this one. We're going to have two, uh, two folks on the pedestal there for this. Uh, number one, because I want, uh, is Meg Ryan. Shout out. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout out. Uh, incredible uh, performance here. Uh, it, a triple get performance. And like I was saying earlier, just, just um, three distinct characters. Um, and uh, especially when she shows up in the end as Patricia, I was like, damn, Howard Hawks would have had his fucking feet. He would have had his fucking lunch with, with Meg Ryan damn. if they <laughs> were working true. together. Um, but my other one, and I think this might sort of pivot into Noe's, he teased it a little bit, would be Bo Welch's production design. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible, incredible production and uh, design in this movie um, from the this weird dystopic kind of um, factory uh, opening to mm-hmm. the volcano to the uh, volcano setting at the end, and even in the middle when they're in LA. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about that restaurant that that. Um, 
Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan as Angelica go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, really um, make this really also make this movie for me. So that's those are my two co Mercedes valuable players here. Noe, who's your Mercedes valuable player for this movie? Well, you uh, you said it, but it's not just Bo Welch, the production designer. I'm giving mine uh, Mercedes valuable player to the entire art department of oh, this yeah. film. Uh, for me, that is. Uh, the Shining Star, that is the thing to watch uh, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, very versatile, uh, covering a lot of different terrains, covering a lot of different places, covering a lot of different just sets, just all together. Great costumes, no matter where we are. Always mm-hmm. feels appropriate for the setting and the heightness of the world that we're living in. So in the costume department, we have Robert Chase, Sue Moore, and of course, Colleen Atwood, the queen yes. uh, of costume design. Mm-hmm. Production designer, Bo Welch, art director, Tom Duffield, and set decorator, Cheryl Karsick. That is her name. Her name is Karsick. So shout out to the art department. Of course, there are many other people who worked under them. Those are the heads uh, of the art department for Joe versus the Volcano. Had to shout it out to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my Mercedes Valuable Player. Patrick, bring us home. Do you recommend Joe versus the Volcano? Yes, I I would definitely recommend it for the... For the, for anyone who ever felt like, you know, like the romantic at heart, especially. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mason, I'm gonna give this a full recommend. I'm gonna give this a full recommend, mm-hmm. and you know what? I was thinking about it, and I think I'm just gonna do it. I have a new recommendation category that I want to preview here, Holy or shit. I want to bring out here. I'm gonna give this movie a catfish. After. Wow. After the uh, the the plot element from my favorite uh, from the Bernardo Brito's yearbook, the catfish, the thing that someone just spends their time, uh, it's just a beautiful thing that that uh, reflects their sort of goals drives here. Mm-hmm. I guess um, I don't know. I was watching this movie and I'm like, this feels like a catfish, something that I'm really uh, wanted to find on the show, and I'm very happy for Pat for bringing it on. So this one gets a very high recommendation for me. So. Go and watch it if my word means anything to you. Noah, how about your – how do you feel about this movie? What are you going to tell the folks uh, to do with this one? Yeah, so they we're going to go ahead and keep this one off your list. This is a do not recommend uh, from Noah, unfortunately, and it pains me to say it because on paper I should like this movie. I want to like this movie, but it did not work for me ultimately. I like the beginning of it, and then like I keep saying, after we get introduced to Lloyd Bridges' character – which doesn't really work for me, unfortunately, in the execution. I think it's mostly in the script uh, is where it sort of loses me. Some of the motivations, some of that stuff, some of the way that the scenes play out. I just don't really feel attached to it after a certain point. So I'm going to go ahead and say keep this one off your list if my word <laughs> means anything to you. Uh, this is a do not recommend from me. I'm obviously in the minority here. But that's the show. We did it, folks. Congratulations. We did it. Welcome to well, Jesus. Uh, I was got distracted there for a second. Patrick, you thank were you so much. Looking for, at your phone, I was my sister. I was uh, bad, <laughs> bad uh, host etiquette here. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for bringing these two uh, these two things on the show and for showing up and being a great guest. Thanks for so much for uh, coming on. My pleasure. Can't wait to you know. Can't wait to listen to it and if you know once it pops up and also for. And, yeah. I'm gonna. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to edit your voice so you have just a very deep baritone. Just like Barry White, like kind of. <laughs> <laughs> just this deep, bassy voice and everyone's going to be like, man, oh man, where did they find this guy? This guy's this guy's got a golden uh, voice on your him. Your voice is great, Patrick. Uh, Thanks. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? Anything that we're, uh, folks can find you if they're interested in getting to know what's up with you? Well, I'm, I'm on Letterboxd, Instagram, and and. Um, I haven't, you know, I haven't updated that well. Also, the Tumblr, um, both both have the same uh, uh, username, uh, Yaguno Esk, L L A G U N O E S Q U E, and mm-hmm. um, I'm also in a. Also, if you want to see me talk about how Forrest Gump shaped shaped my, you know, my filmmate, my my film, my just my general interest in film, you can see me talk about it on on this film called California Dreams, which is streaming on Amazon Prime. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, we will. I will uh, find that and uh, link to that in the description here. You can find other useful links for the show in the description in our link tree. You can find me on Instagram at HotDogDepicky or on my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about The Shield, uh, also on Letterboxd under my name, and uh, I think that'll do it for me this week. My recommend- I'm going to throw a little recommendo also. Just watched this morning uh, the Jules, the Jules Dassin uh, noir, uh, Night in the City. And if you're fans, if you are a fan of the movie Uncut Gems, I really think that you would like this movie a lot. 95 minutes, very intense. Richard Woodmark knocks it out of the park. You got Gene Tierney also knocks it out of the park. Uh, maybe I'll bring on the show one day. Who knows? Uh, I think that'll do it for me. Noe, where can the folks find you? What else you got going on? Uh, of course, you can always find me in the links below. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I keep fucking forgetting to plug this, Mason, because I'm doing this every single day, as you know. But for the entire month of November, every single day, I'm doing something on my WordPress called November, where I talk about something that is like one of my favorite things, just in art or whatever. And I've been doing that ever since the start of November. This is coming out the week of Thanksgiving, so when this comes out, it'll be what, the 24th? So there'll be 24 little entries about things. Look at the ones that interest you. Look at the all of them, if you please look at all of them, <laughs> because I spend the time to do it. I think, you know, they're fine. <laughs> I think they're pretty good. Uh, there's stuff on there like Super Mario Sunshine. I do a little blur about Super Mario Sunshine. I talk about Buffalo 66. I talk about the Blue Album by Weezer. I've talked about other things that haven't been on this show. So go ahead and check that out. I'll do it in a special role plug for that you can also listen to my other podcast of course my favorite podcast a podcast about people's favorite things and for my other little reco mendo i don't know why i don't listen to this band more often i guess this group is only two people but whenever i do i have a great time they just don't really like pop in on my mind very much run the jewels four if you haven't listened to run the jewels four yet it came out this year a little bit earlier this year uh, get your little ears over that album. That's a great little album. All right. Shout out to Run the Jewels. Okay, I'll listen to the movie. album. Stop Shut bullying. Up! Stop telling me. Stop. Stop. talking about Run the Jeez Jewels 4. Christ. Fuck. Right. God damn. Right. Every single day with this guy. Run the Jewels 4. Yeah, I'm always uh, spouting off. I'm popping off. Run the Jewels 4 over here. Run the Jewels 4 over there. Why doesn't anyone run them over my family jewels with a truck? <laughs> That's all I want to say. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Mason, take us home. Oh, right. As always, folks, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, defund, abolish the police, defend the post office, 
tell some folks you love them if you're not, if you're gonna be zooming with them and can't be with them in person. Just give someone you love a call. It's an all-time recommendo. And uh, we will see you all uh, next week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. 